Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Broadcasting right around the world from Hollywood Boulevard in California. In the center of Silicon Beach, the third most important center for entrepreneurs, incubators, and accelerators on the planet. I'd like to start off by giving a shout out to, I just just before I went on air, I got a Skype from a farm in Australia um, from Sean Munro, and uh, just telling me that I was on air in a few minutes. It had actually occurred to me, but um, Sean, thanks for that. I appreciate it. I hope you um, are enjoying your cows and things. For the past few years in a very competitive marketplace, Facebook's talked about the massive, massive growth of video on its platform. Well, now it turns out that Facebook exaggerated a key metric to their advertisers. The average amount of time viewers spent watching video each day on Facebook, they exaggerated by as much as 80%. So not just little, some little, you know, slight slip of the tongue type exaggeration, exaggerated by 80%. It's not surprising that people don't trust media companies, is it? Now, a few weeks ago, Facebook reportedly notified advertisers that it had accidentally been excluding videos that users watch for less than that users watch for less than three seconds from its average duration of video viewed measurement. And Publicist Media, which buys ads for clients, later heard from Facebook that the original measurement was probably exaggerated by 60 to 80%, according to a letter that Publicist sent to its clients. They're upset with the way Facebook was spinning the mistake by introducing a new metric. Publicist said, essentially, Facebook's coming up with new names for what they were meant to be measuring in the first place. It's introducing a new measurement called the average watch time that will include all videos regardless of how long people watch them. So that makes sense. And a Facebook spokesman said the error had been fixed and did not affect billing. Now, the announcements raised questions about whether external companies should be brought in to measure analytics for advertisers. This once again illuminates the absolute need to have third-party tagging and verification on Facebook's platform. Makes sense. Have a third-party verify it, then they can't make up all these ridiculous numbers. Google's doing another great thing. They're helping to crack down on illegal phishing, and they're doing it from space. A new satellite-based technology from Google, Oceania, and Sky Truth aims to help governments and the public track the movement of tens of thousands of phishing vessels across the world in nearly real time. I'm sure most of you have seen um, the maps that show planes 
over the United States at any given time and, you know, it's almost like one solid mass of planes. Well, just think how many boats there are out there on the oceans from every country of the world out floating around the ocean. And illegal and unreported fishing is a multi-billion dollar business around the globe and one that's proven notoriously difficult to combat. And that's, you know, partly that's because it involves a constant stream of renegade fishermen breaking the law, being chased by countries that have got very limited resources to carry out this cat and mouse game on the high seas. And if you haven't looked at an atlas lately, there is one fucking hell of a lot of water out there. But in this new satellite-based surveillance system powered by Google, this was unveiled last Thursday. It aims to help alter that equation. Global Fishing Watch is designed to act as an eye in the sky, constantly scouring the globe in search of those illegally plundering the oceans. This free platform will help governments monitor and enforce fishing restrictions and journalists and everyday citizens can use it to search for suspicious fishing activity, monitoring roughly 35,000 commercial fishing vehicles, vessels that are out there at any one time, 35,000 fishing vessels out on the seas at any one time. Insurance companies can also, of course, track the vessels that they insure. And I have no doubt that the FBI and the CIA and ICE um, are looking, using these um, eye in the sky to track vessels that might be moving contraband drugs, guns, munitions or whatever else they might be carrying. So the platform's going to help revolutionise the way the world views commercial fishing. So what it means is that now you can track anything in the world from anywhere in the world. The government of the Pacific Island nations of Kabati used Global Fishing Watch to document how tuna fishing vessels had operated illegally inside the Phoenix Islands protected area. This resulted in a $1 million fine payable to Kiribati. Now, Kiribati is minute. Kiribati, I think, is about 600 square miles and got about 100,000 people on it. So a million bucks goes a fair way. So it's a lot of money for a small island. A third of the world's fisheries are overfished and the ones that aren't overfished are being fished at absolute maximum and around the world there's more and more demand. Half of the world's population, over three and a half billion people, relies on protein from the ocean to survive. So three and a half billion people a fish a day, that's three and a half billion fish a day. Woo. And uh, it's an ecosystem that requires sustainability to survive, and we're not treating it in a sustainable fashion. At the same time, individual countries are taking their own actions. Indonesia, just one example, recently sank 60 boats that had, it had impounded 
for illegally fishing in its waters. And that's part of an aggressive campaign to assert sovereignty over one of its key resources. I wonder where those 60 boats come from. I must have a bit of a look. So we need to keep a, create accountability where there is very little. And this tracking system is a significant step. Here on this program, we salute entrepreneurs and people who do good. And uh, this is a story that I love. At Philadelphia's Eat Cafe, patrons can pay whatever they want or whatever they can afford or nothing at all at this new restaurant, Eat Cafe. It's opening on October the 19th and the cafe will only give diners suggested prices. So they, the amount that you actually pay is up to you. You can give more or less or nothing to pay their bills. The strategy is based on the community cafe model where there is a mix of people who can pay more and there's a bunch of people who can pay less and some that can pay nothing. So the pay-as-you-wish establishment aims to alleviate hunger and close the gap in West Philadelphia, where about a quarter of locals don't have access to healthy meals. So, for example, a three-course meal, which includes soup or salad, an entree, such as Cuban black beans with braised chicken, with sides, and a dessert, such as cheesecake, and a beverage, will only cost you a suggested $15. So you get three-course meal, soup, salad, entree, and sides, and a dessert and a beverage for 15 bucks if you want to pay it, or nothing if you don't want to pay it. I'll be there every night. Sounds great. So Eat Cafe sources ingredients from farmers who grow crops within a local radius of Philadelphia, so they're fresh, local and straight to the plate and the restaurant is also looking to get donations from grocers like ShopRite, Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. Grocery giant, grocery chain giant food will also provide daily donations of items that would normally be tossed out and they're also supplying a car, supplying a car to help the staff pick up food from other people in the program. Eat Cafe will be able to sustain its pay-as-you-wish system, primarily thanks to grants from corporate sponsors, plus generous diners who choose to pay more will help cover the costs for those who pay less than the suggested amount. And the staff will also seek donations from those people. So the goal of the cafe is to make sure that everyone who comes in has a nutritious meal even if they are not able to pay for it. The eatery functions like a normal restaurant, seating 30 people at a time, and they receive a check at the end of their meals. So only the server and the patron knows how much the diner pays, so no one will feel embarrassed. The owner of the restaurant, Donald Jones Craven, says he wants people to have the opportunity to fulfil each other's need for community real community 
and share experiences, embrace differences, and have dignity and respect amongst all. I guess that's because, in truth, we all need each other, don't we? None of us is an island. We're to um, take the words of one Hillary Rodham Clinton. It takes a village. Donald Jones Craven, congratulations. We love it, and you are our Entrepreneur of the Month. So if you're in Philadelphia, look out for the Eat Cafe. Go in, eat hearty, and give generously. I think it's a fabulous idea. Now, if you enjoy this radio show each week, you really should become a member of the Bob Pritchard Premium Club. Now, if you go to the website, bobpritchard.com, you'll find out all about it and join today. It's great. It's a great thing. So let me tell you about the you know some of the benefits you'll get. Firstly, you'll be invited to buy members' own webinars. Secondly, in all those CEOs that you admire and you wish you could be like and you buy their their um, their books and you listen to their interviews, well, you'll get to meet them on the successful CEOs program and you'll also receive a CD of interviews with 50 of the world's most successful people. You'll find out what they've achieved, how they got there and the challenges that they overcome to get there. You'll also receive access to business merchandise discounted to cost, as well as daily access to the best of my disruptive ideas. You'll earn loyalty points with the Bob Pritchard Premium Club just for participating. So something for nothing. These are points that you can use for all sorts of great rewards. And if you join now, you'll also receive one month's bonus membership and the program is 100% guaranteed. So keeping this program fair and balanced, in the words of Donald Trump, what the hell have you got to lose? The answer to that is nothing. Now, when you get onto the website, bobpritchard.com, you'll also see a new page called the Bob Pritchard Success Pathway. Now, this is designed to help anybody, any entrepreneur, international entrepreneur or American entrepreneur, to um, get access contacts, expertise and funding in North America. We've developed some great global partnerships and we'd love you to drop us a line and we will help you become successful in the United States. Now, my guest today is Brian Duncan. Brian's a really good guy and I had a long chat to him and he he took some time off from um, a seminar that he was attending and it was a a food and technology seminar, so he had to get away from the food for a few minutes while he spoke to me, but he's a, he's a super guy, and he's the co-founder of Chowley, C-H-O-W-L-Y, which is a new technology that's changing the way restaurants run their online ordering, you know, that part of their business, the online order. What I didn't realise is the number of people that phone restaurants and order over the phone is in America is like one and a quarter billion people (laughs) ordering food over the phone. So who hasn't ordered food online? 
Now, outlets like Grubhub and Seamless have made a splash in the startup world. But do you know how all those um, orders are entered into the system? Well, up until Chowley, the answer is manually. And um, Brian told me that the number of errors is somewhere around 12%. So you look at one and a half billion orders, 12% of that is like 100 million orders are fucked up because people enter them manually. It's cumbersome, it's costly, and it's time-consuming. So Charlie's got a great solution to that pain point, and I'll be back with Brian immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where over the last five years and a bit, we've given you insights into the lives of over somewhere near 300 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked to them about what they do, what makes them different, and we try to find out what makes them tick. You know, it's um, unbelievably difficult to get a startup going and be successful. The failure rate is somewhere around 99%. So um, it's very important to take on board the information that's provided by people who have gone before and have been successful and uh, it's the other reason why I, I keep imploring you every week, if you're a, an entrepreneur or even if you're a, a business executive, to surround yourself with mentors, people who have been there and done that and give, can give you really good, unbiased advice. You know, a lot of people get mentors who are friends and friends tend to say, oh, that's good, Johnny. It's really clever when actually it stinks. So get yourself some mentors that are not biased in any way and take their advice on board. Now, everybody in business, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter whether you're a, open a dry cleaner or whether you're building apps, you um, ultimately face the same challenges. And we all start off with a dream. We all need to persevere and we need to overcome the obstacles that are thrown in front of you. 
at increasing speed as you progress further than your business idea. Now, most entrepreneurs try to do everything on their own, um, you know, because of lack of funds and often lack of contacts, lack of a network, um, and lack of necessary resources that are needed. But research shows that the reason that most entrepreneurs fail is not because their idea isn't any good, it's because they don't have the business skill sets to make it work. Now, and research shows that successful startups are nearly always the result of a founder having experience and a passion in a particular field, and that applies today. My guest today is Brian Duncan, who uh, has had over 12 years in the restaurant industry, beginning his career in college, working as a lot of us did, every job from dishwasher to server. And over here in California, if you're um, working in a restaurant, you're either an actor (laughs) or you're a college student. Now, after graduating from Purdue, uh, Brian went on to work in food and beverage consulting, focusing on international chains and consumer product manufacturing for companies such as Hilton and Revolution Foods. During his time, consult when he was consulting, Brian focused on creating efficiencies by utilising technology. And uh, I guess technologies hit the food industry. So Brian's background paved the way to multiple tech startups, including Chowley, which we're going to talk about today. That's C-H-O-W-L-Y. And uh, Brian's primarily focused on business development, sales, and marketing. Now, what Charlie does before we get into the discussion, Charlie integrates your third-party online ordering platforms, such as Grubhub and E24 and all of those, with the restaurant POS, bringing the virtual ordering experience full circle. Now, I'm not quite sure what that means, but we'll find out. But it means you can spend more time on your business and less time typing orders. Brian, thanks for interrupting your conference to speak with me, uh, and welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, Bob. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate you having me on today. So how does Chowley Software work, and and what pain in a restaurant does it solve? Yeah, well, uh, uh, back up a little bit here. What most people don't realize is, you know, these Grubhub Uber Eats, E24, all of these different platforms. Uh, whenever an order was um, ordered in the past by a consumer, so Bob, if you were to go order from Grubhub, that would then send a fax or an email or populate a tablet in the restaurant. It was right. never entered into the point of sale system, which is like the brain for the restaurant. Okay. Uh, so some of these locations are doing two, three, four thousand orders a month, three, four hundred orders a day. So it became two to three employees' full-time job in order to enter in these orders one by one. So obviously you can see how there's a a very, you know, labor-intensive process. Uh, Manual entry causes a lot of errors, uh, mistakes. Uh, There's a lot of uh, wasted labor that goes in there as well. So what we set out to do uh, when we thought of this product was to create a system that would automatically transmit the data 
that the consumer enters to order food. We then catch it out of the, uh, the cloud and uh, digitally input that into the point of sale system so that the uh, receipts will print in the kitchen the appropriate way, uh, the exact same way as if they were to type it in manually. Uh, eliminating that need for the extra employee and eliminating all the errors that come with manual entry. Yeah, I can imagine that between, I don't know, 7 and, or 6 and 7 p.m., um, some of these um, third-party online ordering platforms could be pretty busy, couldn't they? Yeah, so not only can they be really busy, but the restaurant itself is actually busy. So if you're a uh, quick-service restaurant, say you uh, have a long line at lunchtime or dinner time, and then all of a sudden this tablet or fax machine next to your uh, register starts beeping, you have to stop servicing customers in front of you to service a virtual customer that may or may not come back to your restaurant. What we try to do is focus on long restaurants to uh, do what they do best, which is service the customers in front of them, provide great customer service and make great food. We'll take care of the logistics of the, of the delivery for them. So if, if I get on the phone and I call Grubhub or any of those, my call goes through to a fax machine or something that then pops up in the restaurant and you've got to hope that somebody is not too distracted doing something else to to grab it and then they've got to take time off from whatever they're doing to input it manually um, and it, you know I can see room for lots and lots of errors in that process. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. When you push that application button, uh, Grubhub, and you push order, uh, they're getting a fax, or they're getting a uh, display that says, hey, you have a new order. It thing gets input uh, manually. So you can imagine if, uh, in cities like Chicago, where I'm from, if you put in 328 North State Street, and the person lives on the 50th floor, uh, <laughs> but that was a mistype. And they actually meant 328 South State Street. That's a two-hour time difference to go up, down, travel back and forth to get to the correct address. So that's a really, really big mistake. Right. And they're, they're the sort of, you know, numbers are the sort of things that are easier. State Street, okay, you're not going to make any mistakes. But people transpose the numbers all the time, don't they? That's exactly correct. Uh, you know, not by any fault of their own. It's just when you're entering in 400 a day, it becomes pretty monotonous. Uh, you know, imagine if uh, I gave you a phone book and I wanted you to transfer all all letters from A through D into my uh, computer. That would get a little uh, cumbersome, and your eyes would get tired, and you would just get sick of typing that information after a while. I'd be. I'm sick of it just thinking about it. <laughs> so, well, that's what these restaurants have been doing for the past eight years, literally manually entering in uh, the order one by one. And they do about close to 250,000 orders a day nationwide. And now when you add in the other systems like Uber E24, you're getting close to about 700,000 orders a day that are being manually entered into the point of sale system until Charlie came along. So how how did you come up with what what brought you to thinking of of Charlie? What what involvement did you had with you had involvement with um, entering this information previously, and you thought, oh shit, I don't want to do this anymore, or um, <laughs> what what was it that um, 
um, prompted you to start Charlie? Well, I was actually working with a client, a uh, large national chain, and was uh, on a, a, you know, a site tour. That's when we go around to different locations and look at the best and worst of their franchise owners and try and figure out how they can uh, make things uh, equal and more efficient for all uh, franchisees. Uh, we went to one of the busiest locations in America. It was a 700-unit uh, uh, chain, right. and uh, they were using Grubhub to supplement their delivery, doing about 2,000 Grubhub deliveries a month. Uh, I was like, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to see how this works. We went to the back where they, and they had uh, literally uh, three employees in a closet almost in the back, and their only job was to get the facts and type it into the point of sale system. So I was talking to their uh, COO, and I said, why are you doing this? This seems very cumbersome uh, and probably the most inefficient method I've ever seen for any any part of the restaurant. Right. And uh, he responded, we've tried to contact these companies to integrate into our point of sale. Uh, it just can't be done from what we've heard. And you know, I literally asked, well, if I could do it, would you be interested in purchasing the product from me? Mm. He said, Brian, if you can do it, I'll pay you whatever you want for it. Right. Uh, we got on the phone, uh, called uh, my now business partners and asked if this was a possibility. They're more of the tech side of the company, and they said, right. yep, we can do it. Uh, we had a product a week later, and we're in market wow. a month after that. So does it, it provides the information about who the people are, where they live, phone number presumably, and also um, what they've ordered, does it have an automatic response or whatever back to the customer to say, yes, your order's been taken or is there... You got it. So, we can, so in the past, they had to not only put the order into the point of sale, they had to confirm that it was received and update the delivery time when they would get their food. Our system takes care of all that as well. So we're going to also let the customer know, hey, they got your order, and it'll be with you in 45 minutes. Wow, okay. Does does that then connect to some sort of um, system in the kitchen that brings up the order and says it's to go, and does that does it, yep. is it totally um, turnkey like that? Yep, so what we want to do is, however the restaurant is currently inputting orders, we want to do it the exact same way. So we don't want to change anything they're doing to uh, work with Chowley's systems. We want to make our systems work with the restaurant's current operational processes. Right. So if they have a kitchen and they have a heads-up display, which is called a KDS, and it's like a flash screen TV, which has the orders, we're going to populate that exact same, exact same way. It's say to go on it. They know it's to go, and uh, it'll be a Grubhub order. If they have a print in the kitchen, so if you have a fry station, a salad station, or a steak station, and they each get their own piece, they're going to get the exact same way they see it every other day. It's going to say to go on it. We're going to literally mimic how they're doing business. We don't want restaurants to have to work, worry about changing processes just to uh, get new customers. That's setting them up for failure. So I don't know anything about restaurants. I'm pretty good at the outside of the kitchen, but I'm not so good at the inside. <laughs> so what? How, does every restaurant have a different way they operate, or are they pretty standard? You know, I sort of I guess I see them on television where people walk in, there's an order taken, and it's if the um, server's got a 
a pad or something that it's automatically sent through to the kitchen, comes up on a screen, um, and then that's read by the chef or the cook or whoever's in the kitchen. Does everybody have that same sort of – well, nearly all people have that same sort of system. Yeah, so they're going to start with that same system, right? They're all going to have a point of sale – uh, and then, well, they're not all going to have a point of sale, but what they do have a point of sale will have what's called a chip printer or a KDS display, which is what you're talking about, the head-up display hanging above the kitchen or a printer that prints out, you know, make tickets. Right. Which is, is the grill cook needs to know what steak to make, the temperature, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, they're all going to have that. But then where it changes is, you know, what are you relying on each individual uh chef in the kitchen or cook in the kitchen to do. Some places might have their grill cook also do burgers. They might also have, but other places may not. Uh, other places may have one person who completes an order and the next, and the next chef completes his own order. So there's different operational uh, methods that each restaurant has found that works best for them. That's why our system can't just be a out-of-the-box solution. Mm. We with each individual restaurant and find out how they've become successful operationally and then we just mimic that. So your major um, your major target then is the chains presumably someone because you, you wouldn't want to go into a thousand individual restaurants or you might like to over time but you wouldn't want to go into a thousand individual restaurants and tailor everything for each one would you or, or do you look at the restaurants do you, that have got do you do this for everybody from if you're as big as the largest pizza chain in America and we can also do this for your local Bob's Pizza if you will uh, as well it takes us about 30 minutes to set this up we're extremely fast so for us it makes no difference whether it's 100 restaurant chain or 100 individual restaurants so how do you um how do you charge for that? Do you charge per order or do you charge? How do you charge? Yeah, so what we try to do, again, is, uh, again, coming from my background, understanding slim margins in the restaurant industry, we charge a setup fee of usually around $150. It's a one-time fee. What okay. that does allows us to, um, there's, a, there's a manual piece we have to do on the back end. As far as, you know, contacting all of your online ordering systems and making sure that everything's correct. Yep. And then we also charge a per transaction fee of usually around 35 cents per transaction. Okay. Uh, the app, no matter how big or small, it's just a flat 35 cents. Uh, for example, the uh, average online order from a third-party company is going to be around $48. So we're less than 1% on average. So we're really not going to affect your bottom line. You're probably not even going to see it going out. It's just pity. It seems to me that you guys could save a restaurant, whether it's a big restaurant or a chain or whether it's an individual restaurant. It seems to me you could save one hell of a lot of money. How much How, how much do you save per employee per year? Yeah, we usually save around $40,000 per employee. If you think about every time uh, an order is entered incorrectly, one in eight online orders is entered incorrectly into the point of sale system. Jeez. So that right there is waste. You made that pizza, you made that burger, but they ordered chicken salad. Yeah. Uh, that was a you know, push the wrong button. 
Now you're throwing that in the trash and you're remaking it. Well, that right there will pay for our service for the whole month. But also a labor piece. As I mentioned, some people have two to three employees and their only job is they're entering these orders. Well, we just eliminated that. So now you don't have that labor cost anymore. I mean, we all know minimum wages are rising and they're, it's coming soon and uh, restaurateurs need to be prepared for that so they can you know, find ways to be more efficient and operate their business in a way that keeps them profitable. I reckon it's a fantastic idea and it's, you know, it seems to me that without knowing much about it that if you're, if you're sitting out there listening to this show and uh, you take, um, take out delivery orders uh, then um, this would be a slam dunk. Yeah, we, we literally have been doubling in size every month, right? Uh, and we're expanding globally right now. It's just been a, uh, a real uh, success story, at least from my perspective. <laughs> and uh, we're poised to continue to help customers, like you said, from the one mom and pop all the way up to the international chain. I, I was looking through your material, and um, I, I, I'm not sure, but... In about a two-week period, a couple of weeks ago, you seemed to announce deals with Toast Partners and um, BPOS, and that all, that happened within a couple of weeks. Um, what are, what do are they what do they mean to your business? What what's the what's the deals there? So we partner with Point of Sale Systems quite often. Um, Toast is a probably one of the fastest growing point of sales uh, cloud-based in America. So restaurants use them as their brain for their restaurant. And what Toast has done is pretty much gone out to the public and said that this, we, we think that Charlie's good for your business and we, we've endorsed their products for our customers. Uh, BPOS has done the same thing and so has Revel POS and there's a few other ones. We work with probably close to 25, uh, 22 different point of sale systems right now. Right. Uh, we try to add between three and five every month. Now, we kind of dance before we date, if you will. We start off real slow. They give us a few clients here and there because each one is different. Obviously, it reflects on them as well if, if our software for some reason doesn't work. But once we prove to them that we are capable of handling and helping them grow their business, that's usually when you'll see one of those press releases go out and they really start driving home with their clients. Hey, you, we have a solution for you now. You've been asking for uh, an integration process and now we have it. And that... Um that makes your job a fair bit easier because once you once you've got it um, once you've got the um, connection done, the um, interface done, then I guess that um, it, it's just an easy, pretty much a matter of just switching it on. Yep, exactly. So once we got it done, there still is a manual piece. You know, we still have to. Uh, edit their Grubhubs and E24s and other twos and make sure that they do match their point of sale system. But, you know, once we get that process down, we can fly through them. I mean, as many customers as you want to send us, we can knock them out. So how's technology changing the um, general food and delivery business industry? What's happening with technology that's um, really making a big difference? Yeah, I mean... First of all, uh, off-premise dining is just uh, pretty much how everything's going. Uh, 26% of Americans say they order offline at least once a month. Right. So it's definitely something every restaurant needs to consider. Now, how do you get these consumers? A lot of them choose to use online ordering. Uh, they're still taking phone calls, but that's a dying uh, solution. 
Uh, you know, in 2010, there were 1.4 billion phone calls made to restaurants for online dining, off-premise dining. And uh, in 2015, there was literally a one-third uh, reduction. There was less than a billion phone calls made to restaurants. Uh, that pace will be gone in no time. And in that same instance, um, there was... A hundred percent growth in online orders to restaurants for off offsite dining. Is, so is, the technology is, has just been all driven towards getting those consumers to order food from restaurants without having to talk to an actual person and using uh, a digital solution. It works great for. Uh, Millennials, younger generations who are very comfortable with application-based uh, sure. services, and it works great for uh, immigrants who may not be comfortable speaking, but are able to read English. These are sure. all benefits of online solution. So, uh, are some of the people that normally would go to a restaurant now um ordering online and, and eating it at home or is there just a general growth in the number of people that um, um, are buying prepared meals in total I know I buy I, I get a lot more I get a lot more um, I order a lot more meals now from in between going to a restaurant and um, buying pre prepared food I do that seem to do with that a hell of a lot more now than I did say 10 years ago and I appreciate there's more available but it seems to me that there's a bigger growth in the number of people that eat out if you like whether they eat it at home yeah or I agree I think it's a combination of both I think that uh, the growth has come from again just an increased market share uh, so more people uh, as they become into the workforce uh, and are, have the ability to uh, eat off, eat off site, eat, eat, dine at home. Uh, they're yeah. trying to do that more often. Uh, you know, think for example, you know, when I was growing up, we used to have to hail a cab in order for me to get from uh, a convention yeah. back to my hotel. But now I just go on my app and get an Uber. Uh, same thing with off site dining. It's just become so much easier to eat off site. Before we had to, I'd get checked in the hotel, I'd open the uh, drawer next to my hotel bed, and there'd be a, uh, a bundle uh yeah. <laughs> brochure to deliver to my hotel. Yeah. Right? You through them, you're like, oh, none of these look good, but you call one anyway. Now you can open the application and you can see everybody who delivers within a 10-mile radius and how long it's going to take to get there. I mean, making it more convenient makes it more usable, right? And yeah. then another piece, too, is just mind we're working. Uh, we work on average now 50 to 60 hours a week, which lim eliminates the amount of time we have to actually cook a meal for ourselves. So, restaurants and uh, online ordering solutions are happy to fill that void. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, cooking at home, um, it, this sounds, probably sounds offensive to a number of people out there, but I find that it's just as cheap to buy food from a restaurant and have it delivered to the house as it is to go shopping and buy all the individual ingredients and put it all together and cook it and wash the dishes and all that stuff it's it's easier and I, I, because food in america you know people find this difficult but when you spend your life and you i'm sure you know when you travel around the world all the time like some of us do um food in america is so bloody cheap yep so when we talk about like technology advances like it's not just about the 
you know, the cyber uh, data being transferred over the internet waves. Uh, there's also technology advances in the processing and preparing of food. Um, you know, when you used to get uh, pasta sauce uh, in the 80s and in the 90s, it tasted pretty watered down and bland. But now the technology in these food manufacturers has gotten so advanced, they can almost mimic that flavor from a very high-end restaurant. Uh, and so now you can get these prepared items for such a cheap, cheap uh, uh, dollar amount that these restaurants can order it in bulk, make it, do it really quick so the labor time goes down and get it to you for pennies compared to what they used to have to do it back, you know, in the 80s and 90s when they were sure. actually, you know, stirring the pot, boiling it down, yeah. you know, canning it themselves, all that good stuff. Yeah. No, it, work, it certainly works for me. Now, <laughs> this, this is this is going to be an interesting one. Um, you believe that um, Chicago is getting better from an entrepreneurial hub point of view but so did you were you located in Chicago and therefore the company grew in Chicago is that why you're there or did you pick Chicago for some reason yeah we actually were located in Chicago and we were all from there so it just made sense for us to continue to grow there but you know being centrally located too definitely helps as much as I travel uh, those cross-country flights would pretty much ruin me so being in the middle I can get everywhere pretty quickly yeah that's true so but my question is if you have a look at the latest um, Kaufman Index of startup activity, Chicago barely makes the list for entrepreneurs. Um, for example, in Los Angeles last year, one person in every 198 was an entrepreneur. Yet in the same time in Chicago, it's one person in every 500. So there's nearly three times more entrepreneurs in per head of population in LA than there is in Chicago. Um, And we know that entrepreneurial activity is what is fueling the economy as things change. The more entrepreneurs, the more jobs, the faster an economy can grow. What's Chicago doing to um, improve its appeal to entrepreneurs so that we get, you know, a, a higher level of people wanting to have a shot? Yeah, I think there's a few things that Chicago's done that has definitely uh, increased uh, the, the growth in entrepreneurial space in Chicago. Um, you know, incubators that have come up in, you know, co-working space like 1871, sure. which has been uh, a huge piece of uh, the entrepreneurial uh, tech environment. They provide a number of resources uh, available to new entrepreneurs. They teach classes on programming. Uh, They give support as far as mentorship goes to help uh, young entrepreneurs who want to, you know, create an idea, may have the, you know, the know-how to build it, but aren't really sure about how to actually run that business, the legal sure. side behind it, how to get it to market. Yeah. Uh, 1871 really helps with that. Um, also, there's a very strong uh, community for women in tech in Chicago, which is definitely growing. And uh, I'm seeing a lot more of tech startups by women coming to Chicago, which is, right. I think, amazing and definitely uh, you know, a, a, a way to get such a different... Uh, viewpoint on business coming from, you know... Different approach, uh, isn't it? Yeah, entirely. So, huge, and we'll definitely reap the benefits of that in the near future. 
And then, you know, I think also being completely located uh, for the food industry, there's just a lot of food startups that uh, are being embraced and, you know, the National Restaurant Association getting involved with these tech startups for uh, restaurants uh, because Chicago is such a, a restaurant and yeah, it is. food manufacturing yep. location yep. that they're getting more involved. And uh, I think that these ones are just definitely just going to be producing uh, many entrepreneurs here coming up in the next, I'd say, three to five years. You know, we've got Grubhub, Groupon, they're all from Chicago, and uh, it's just going to be more and more after that. Okay, so we're just about out of time, but um, where does Brian Duncan want to be in three years' time? You know, I, I just hope that uh, we're able to continue the success that we have. I want to continue to provide opportunities for uh, other uh, people who are looking to uh, grow in the tech industry. And, you know, we're right now hiring three to five employees a month, and, you know, hopefully we'll keep doing that and then uh, providing guidance and mentorship for other people who are looking to get into the tech and entrepreneur space so that I can uh, provide some opportunities that somebody else help me to get to one day. That is an absolute perfect answer, and we applaud. You know, we're all about entrepreneurs on this show, and we applaud anybody who is assisting entrepreneurs. So, Brian, that's fantastic, and I really appreciate you speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Brian and about Chowley, which is C H O W L Y, Chowley, by going to ChowleyInc.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. Now, this is the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And uh, we're broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. I'm just sitting. It's absolutely perfect day in LA today. It's about um, 95, 96 degrees, but looking out across the city and uh, the west side of LA today is absolutely crystal clear and beautiful. This show is all about entrepreneurs, and the latest entrepreneurship study has some great news for the US economy. Startup growth is healthier than it has been in years. We know that small business employs the highest percentage of people and at a time of incredible and accelerating technological disruption, it is these startups that will that will drive the economy of the future. Now, each year, the Kaufman Index measures entrepreneurship growth in four cities across the country. The study's focused on output rather than input, which means it's looking at factors like business density, new companies, and growth rates. The study also measures entrepreneurship at a national, state, and metropolitan level. 
Well, this year, entrepreneurship grew in 34 of the 40 metro areas measured, and that's the largest increase in the last decade on a national scale. This means that more new companies are cropping up nationwide, and they're starting up everywhere, not just in the bigger cities. If this trend continues, entrepreneurship growth could very rapidly be back to pre-recession levels. Now, the usual big players like San Francisco and Boston stayed relatively stable compared to 2015, but other mid-sized cities went through some changes in the last year. Cincinnati had the biggest jump. It moved up 19 spots from 35 to 16, while entrepreneurship slowed in Pittsburgh, moving the city from 12 to 27. And I would have thought Pittsburgh needed entrepreneurship badly. Some cities had an amazing growth of over 80%, such as number three ranked San Jose, with a startup rate of growth of 128%. Washington, D.C. had a startup growth of 117%. San Antonio had a startup growth of 85%. And Austin, great city, Austin. My son's working there at the moment. Hi, Hunter. How are you, mate? And uh, Austin has a startup rate of 81.2%. And of course, Usually the growth really blossoms when these startups go to IPO. And San Francisco led with an amazing 16 IPOs last year, followed by Boston with a fantastic 15 IPOs, San Jose with seven IPOs, San Diego with five, and Washington, D.C. with four IPOs. Now, each of these cities is actively supporting entrepreneurs and the results are evident. Helping entrepreneurs, I'll say that again, helping entrepreneurs and providing infrastructure should be close to the number one priority for cities, all cities, to ensure their future. You know, we've got a bunch of cities in America all feeling sorry for themselves because manufacturing's up and gone. And uh, we have Donald Trump saying that he's going to bring all this manufacturing back to the cities when the reality is there ain't no manufacturing and he's not going to bring back any manufacturing back to these cities. What we need to do is get more entrepreneurs, more IPOs, more technology development. That is the only way that we will bring these cities back to life. Helping entrepreneurs and providing infrastructure should be close to the number one priority. It should be the number one priority. Social media is disrupting every industry and the effect of social media on direct marketing is going to be profound. Now, there are three basic and simple ways to integrate the social media into overall business strategy for direct marketing businesses. You know, there's so many direct marketing companies and they employ so many people. So, you know, firstly, you've got to use social media to build your direct marketing consumer profile. Somebody who is in direct marketing and got a good database of people, use social media to build their contacts. Secondly, Include social proof as part of your direct marketing offer. 
And thirdly, cross-promote direct marketing and social media channels. If you do these, it'll help you enormously. You know, social media sites contain a wealth of information and direct marketers can easily mine social media data and that'll give you the insights that can help you reach your target audience much more effectively. For example, just knowing, um, you know, things like what interactions took place between your customers and social media, you know, which posts, links, ads, etc. did they link on to? What topics or brands were liked? And what did they share with others? You know, what were the hashtags and keywords and topics that um, are of interest to them? Armed with this knowledge and the information you already have about your customers, you can now devise ways to integrate your offers with the interests of your prospects and pooling social media data with other customer data will dramatically increase the return on investment of your social media efforts. Secondly, social proof influences buying decisions. According to Socialnomics, 93% of shoppers' buying decisions are influenced by social media because 90% trust peer recommendations, but only 14% trusted advertisements or company promotions. So social proof is customer testimonials, number of shares or download, embedded social media posts, etc. Thirdly, use social media as part of your multi-channel direct marketing campaign. There's millions of ways to do this, depending on which offline and online channels are used to promote your offer. For example, you can link email or direct mail, telemarketing and direct response advertising to social media. And of course, Vice versa. Tying them together allows marketers to take advantage of the particular strengths of each. The bottom line is that the more you can integrate your messaging across multiple channels, the greater your opportunity for marketing success. That's why it makes sense to always consider how to incorporate social media into your direct marketing campaigns. Now, I'll see you again next week. In the meanwhile, remember that if you're not really pushing the envelope, and if you're not really living on the edge, you're just taking up space. So get out of the road. Let somebody that really wants to succeed get past you. And you know, it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anyone can do the ordinary. If you just do the ordinary, you're wasting your life. I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com and enrol for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read, and it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that is important for you to know. Next week, I'll again broadcast from a studio on Hollywood Boulevard, where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.